Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to the show. What a delight to be back with you today. And we're going to take a look at the future of living with our guest, Johnny Wolf, who had a horrible Craigslist roommate experience, which led him to think outside of the box. He converted a single family home to a group home for his friends and realized the potential in multi-tenant real estate investing. Homeroom was born and exploded despite the global pandemic raising to this date over $6 million. So Johnny, take us into the show and share a memorable experience that helped you to be who you are today. I really like this question. So I think the biggest learning experience I had sort of earlier in my, and I'm going to kind of go formative years being earlier in my career is I was living in, you know, San Francisco and I couldn't afford a house and kind of like everyone else. And I was living with roommates and I, I learned, you know, that living together can be better. Right. And I think especially with like the elongation of, you know, people getting married much later, it's, you know, do you want to live in a studio apartment for and I tried that because I heard that that was the cool thing to do. Right. I, I, so I spent a year in like a really fancy studio apartment by myself and I absolutely hated it. I was like, living alone sucks. I can't do this. <laughs> and so then I moved back into a house with roommates and loved it again. So I think, mm. you know, I a, a lot of times when people talk to us about, you know, roommates and like. It's like, is that just for college kids? I think for the millennials and beyond, it actually is more, it's more of like a whole new life stage, right? Between mm -hmm. college and marriage, which is like late thirties a lot of the times. And no one wants to live in a studio by themselves. There's, there, you know, even in kind of a lot when, when people were getting married at 23, there was one year between like marriage and, you know, mm -hmm. and in college and that maybe a year like that made sense. But for 10, 15 years alone, it's it just it just feels it, I think it feels lonely. Yeah. So I think that was a that was a big learning for me is just, you know, the studio apartment thing. It's not for everyone, even though it sounds like it's what you're supposed to do after yeah. kind of college. So. Well, interesting. You use science, the data of science to help in your real estate investing. So how can we learn from that, Johnny, and how can we apply the same data-driven techniques that you're using? Sure. You know, data, real estate and, and finance and data, they, it's the new evolution of real estate investing that has really been focused on multifamily. And the multifamily space has been kind of, has been around for a long time. It's became, it became an institutional grade product 40, 50 years ago. And so data science has really kind of gotten really good over there. You know, CoreLogic, uh, Yield Star, there's all these different data science platforms on that side. Um, and the single family home spaces, which where, where my company Homeroom helps investors buy homes. It's a little bit more of the wild west, right? There's, there's pretty good rent comps, but like no one has any idea about appreciation or population growth or any of these things that every multifamily syndicator just has like on their dashboard. Mm -hmm. So that's really kind of, um, I think using, you know, it's starting to form more and more places in the single family space. The, the old prevailing logic and single families, like you got to be local, you got to have a local operator. If you don't know the market, you're toast, which is like not how multifamily thinks about it, right? They think, Let's look at the the data that we have, right? And so that's something that at Homeroom we've worked really hard to get that data and 
when I bought my first home, I started it in Austin in 2015. I created like a heat map of the population and the growth and the density growing out. And then I said, okay, the red part I can't afford. The green part is too, there's not any people there yet. But the yellow part right on the edge of the red part, that seems like where the population growth and desirability is going to go. And that kind of concept is what we use at Homeroom today, right? And that's that's the kind of I think most people can do that, right? I think it's like, where is the where's the trend going? And real estate doesn't move as fast as stocks. Mm-hmm. So if you see population growing in an area, you probably have a window of like, a t- like not just like a day or a month like stocks, you have like a window of like a year, right? Mm-hmm. Before it becomes the hot area. And like a local agent can tell you or the data could tell you, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think using data allows you to look at multiple different markets, to purchase homes, just like the multifamily guys think about it. Yeah, well, makes sense. Well, what are the key things that uh, you suggest that we think about when buying our first uh, rental property? And I'm and I'm thinking we're talking about single family rentals here. Yeah, the first thing I would, you know, first thing is you want to decide what type of investor you are. Right. So we, we, we're in 11 different metros currently. And the reason we like that is allows for each city has a different brand and a different flavor. It has a different type of housing stock. For example, Kansas City, if you know that the, the metro is divided between Kansas and Missouri, right? And the Missouri side has homes that are 100 years old. The Kansas side has homes a lot of times that are like we're built in the 70s or 80s. The yield in those two types of homes is going to be way different, right? Also, mm-hmm. the risk profile um, and the and the kind of crime and the income. And so you have to pick like, what do you want? Do you want to maximize yield? Do you want to like get something that has maximum appreciation potential? Because if you want appreciation potential, I'd you know probably say you know Kansas side would be better in this situation. Or if you want to maximize yield, your Missouri, the Missouri side is going to give you a bit better chance. So you're going to try to you got want to identify your priority because you can't get a you can get a little bit of each, but you you're going to potentially want to pick where your lane is. Then you want to pick kind of the market that makes the most sense for you that that matches that. So if you're a big appreciation person, maybe I say Kansas City, Kansas, or can't the Kansas side of uh, KC Metro. Or maybe Austin would be even better because the appreciation potential there is really strong based on population growth and income growth. And so once we pick who what you are and then pick your metro, then I think now you're in the ballgame. And so now we just need to fine tune, review deals, pick the right one, probably look about at a couple more than you want to, and then you know stick with basic fundamentals. Right by where where improvement is about to is starting to happen, not where improvement already has happened. Probably not a good idea to buy where it hasn't started at all yet, although it could work in the long term. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, look for good sound mechanicals in the home, good sound uh, refurbished properties if possible. And uh, then the the penultimate thing is you need to find a partner you can trust because there's a lot of people trying to sling real estate. And so if you don't have a great partner. If you're buying out of state or in a different city, then all that stuff I just told you won't really matter. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at yield as opposed to appreciation, deciding what kind of an investor you are, looking at the markets in terms of growth potential, and looking then for partners that you trust. Is that everything? Did I? Or is there one other thing that you had in there? The one, the one other thing I mentioned is sort of the house itself matters, okay, right? That, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to? You kind of want to build it bigger to you know, small you, you kind of want to the baseline is type of investor you are the second block i'd put on top of that is the market that matches the type of investor you are the third thing is find a great partner i kind of went out of order there and the, the last mm-hmm. is like the home itself does matter 
Yeah. You mentioned that uh, the Missouri side of Kansas City are, are older homes. Do you recommend staying away from older homes? Because certainly the infrastructure of older homes is going to be much different than that in newer homes. Or are you looking for something that has been properly renovated as well? Does the age matter or is it really the condition of the house and the type of renovation that it's been under? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think yeah, every, everything matters. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I wish. Sorry, I should, I should just, I, we've looked at like kind of different ages of homes and like the returns and then the yield. And we, we generally think of, you know, there's a sweet spot for buying a car, mm-hmm. right? If you buy a car that's brand new, you're kind of like, you know, you have a lot of money or you're just like making a bad financial decision, right? Because there's that prevent everyone knows you drive it off the lot, you lose five grand. It's like, mm-hmm. so from like a, if you're trying to improve your net worth, it's that that's not the best move. I think the same thing is for, but if you buy a, a, a car that's like 25 years old, you're probably going to end up spending so much money on maintenance that, you know, you will probably catch up to the five grand pretty quickly. Right. Um, so there, I think there's a sweet spot in housing too. Like there are built to rent brand new homes that I think are very interesting, but we, I think the sweet spot in housing is stuff built in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s because it's mm-hmm. not shiny. It's not as you're not going to be, there's not the new home buyers grabbing it. If you have kept the mechanicals in a good spot, you're usually in a, and the plumbing's in a good spot, you're usually in a good, you're okay. When you get into the 1940s and beyond, older than that, yeah, you got to be pretty aware. You've got like knob and tube, like, electrical and like it just starts to get pretty zany pretty fast we have a number of homes in older kansas city properties but you know you have to just be super mindful that like even if that stuff's properly renovated some of the time it has plaster walls so it's just a different it's just a different type of housing so i i would generally say like stick in the stick in like the latter half of the last century and i think you're going to be okay it doesn't mean like a full gut that like is an older structure is bad it could work Uh, every home can a lot of homes can work that break rules but i just i generally like 50s to the two or to the late to the 90s really personally mm-hmm. i own homes in kind of that whole range 50 i actually have one that's like pretty much brand new the new ones are great but they usually have hoas which is a drag <laughs> <laughs> and and like i you know that's the worst thing ever uh, in my opinion for an investor because you got to deal with this thing and it just the price keeps going up and you know you can get in issues and also just there's the premium on the new build because materials are so expensive so you end up having like almost you you can't get yield on new homes it's just really really difficult to do so yeah, if you can I... get a build a build, build to rent a very rarely in areas where i'd be like that place is gonna go off because like you know it's just it's not usually where the cool part of town is about to be enlightened investors if you haven't done so already be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content and finally be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes well what do you level up from or how do you level up from one to many properties and uh, what are the keys to reaching a large scale portfolio for the first thing you're going to want to do to you know is make sure that first home is a solid one right you, that's really the most you want to make sure that you get some yield on it because when you go get the next home they're going to underwrite the income on your portfolio as part of your income if you're if you're if you're buying with your income which most people are doing so if you go negative let's say you go buy that new home with the HOA they underwrite that. It shows you the underwriter says you're losing five hundred dollars a month on your investment property. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm. They're like, well, we only count seventy percent of your rent. Sorry, 
mm-hmm. and you have an HOA. And so it makes it really difficult. You start to have like gravity pulling down your ability to buy because your debt to income ratio gets totally whack. So you got to make sure that you're making money on the first home, unless your income's in the stratosphere and then a lot of stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. So then you kind of want to keep that role going. I like to say you want to cash flow your first two or three pretty good, and then that'll keep you positive. And then I do think it's, I really like the approach of balancing a cash yield city, Kansas City, for example. There are many. It's just, this is the one that I started Homerman. in. So I just, and I own property there. So I just end up, and then Austin's my other property hub, right? of properties that I own. And so I like to balance those two. So if you have a nice cash flow that boosts your income and then you're breaking even on a really nice appreciation play, I think that's really a nice uh, risk adjusted way to go forward. I think, and then eventually those 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 high appreciation properties will have a lot of equity in them and you can kind of cash out refi or you can sell one and get like a few hundred thousand and go buy a few more, do the same mix again. So that's the approach that I've taken. There's not one way to do it, of course. There's many right. people that have done it with just pure cash flow home after cash flow home. I think you can get you can get more money out of equity or out of appreciation usually if you want to get to you know, 50 or 100 homes. I think it can be done quicker if you get some really nice appreciation homes that can be turned into five cash flowing homes, you know, in, in three mm-hmm. to five years. And of course, <laughs> the the higher the yield, the higher the risk as well. And appreciation is, is always speculative because you're relying on the future. And as Yogi Berra once said, uh, prediction is very difficult, particularly when it's about the future. So... Uh, <laughs> You, uh, nice, nice Yogi Bear reference. Yes, uh, it is. But your your balance there between appreciation and cash flow, I think, is a a good strategy and and a good recommendation. I would just add to that, though, just from of, of some of my own experiences. I would, as I'm building a platform, I would be sure that I have the cash flow going before going for the appreciation. But once I do have a solid cash flow, then I think diversifying into the appreciation is is a good strategy there. Yeah, I agree. Because if you go appreciation, then you're going to have to start making a lot more money on your paycheck, right? Absolutely. <laughs> to, to support your own real estate, which can be, a, which can be problematic. And uh, particularly, I mean, I say that in this particular time because it, it, it appears from all indications that we are entering a downturn. And and if you're going with the appreciation, you can get over leveraged uh, really quickly. And uh, so yeah, I would uh, I do, caution I, against that. Yeah, and certainly um, people experienced that in 2008, right? Absolutely, and yeah. You definitely have talked to a few people who had like, 150 homes they own themselves in 2008 and then started from zero yeah so I, I do think i do think appreciation i think when you look at the stock market i like to i like to talk about real estate in the stock market they're not in a lot of ways they're not anywhere similar but in some ways they're very similar and i also like to think about bonds a little bit but what i can't tell you is where like stocks will be in six months but like i can tell i think i can tell you with reasonable the longer the span of time the the more accurate i think your predictions about stock appreciation and house appreciation get and and maybe not to the the accuracy where it's like i know the stock market will be up like 123 percent in 10 years it's more like i believe the stock market will be up quite a bit in 10 years right i think that 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 kind of prediction i think is at least historically has been accurate right and so i think that's where with appreciation if you just say hey on average we're looking in austin 
appreciation has been 5% per year. Yeah, we just had a big pullback. But even if you do that over 20 years and you just show where it is today, it's still 4.75%. So I think it's reasonable to probably expect that if you have a long enough time horizon, right? A 5, 10 time horizon. But yeah, you you definitely, the timing on both stocks and real estate appreciation is unpredictable. I don't know if the direction of where homes are going to go and where stocks are going to go is unpredictable. Right. It's just it's more like what's going to be in on in 379 days. It's like, I have no idea. But what's it going to is it going to be directionally up in, you know, five years? It's like, yeah, so, you know, every every historical period we've seen it, it has been right. So I think that's a reasonable thing to say. So I think that's that that as long as you're not predicting like to the letter, I think you can you can you can bank on it uh, pretty much. Makes sense there. How can out of state investing be better than investing locally? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the big advantages of local is you know your market cold, right? You're like, I know where like the new Costco is coming in, right? And you're like, I know my, I have like three friends that are moving to this area because it's up and coming. That local knowledge is is really valuable when you're living in it. But you can kind of create a proxy for that with a combination of your real estate agent's local knowledge and your and data. If you're mm-hmm. if the platform you're using gives you that, right? If you have data, if you're using a data kind of approach. So I think the advantage can be is that there are moments of time in different cities in which a city is going to have a nice run. And we saw a nice run from Austin from geez, 2020 2000 to like 2021. We we saw a really nice run in Nashville, kind of starting a little bit later. We saw a nice run in Boise. A lot of these big appreciation markets have had pullbacks recently, but I think the the long term is really promising for them. Tampa as well. I think Phoenix a little bit up in the air. I'm a little kind of like back and forth on Phoenix. So I think if you're able to invest out of state, it gives you more flexibility to be like, I'm not biased towards like this one area. I'm going to kind of look at the, the country and say, which area do I, because when you, when you buy a house, you're banking on the area in the city, but I think you're banking on the city, you're investing you're betting on the city almost more than anything else with single family and kind of, I think any real estate. And you can have outsized returns within a city if you get the right neighborhood, which is really important. But I think it's really important that you're, you have the right city. And and if you're only going to invest locally, your city may not be doing well, right? Your, your city may be flatlining. You may be in San Francisco today. You're like, I, you, I only invest in San Francisco. Well, is that a good bet right now? I, I don't know if it is, but if you open it up nationally, you can, you can start to like be a little bit more open and find the best solution, which is generally the best way to go. Start exploratory, start open, look at options, then narrow versus like starting narrow and just trying to make it work is usually what we think makes the most sense for uh, most types of investing. Well, Johnny, tell us about Homeroom and what Homeroom does and how our viewers and listeners can take advantage of what Homeroom has to offer them. Yeah, sure. Uh, So Homeroom helps investors make 50% more rent from the same house. We do that by allowing investors to buy homes remotely and rent out each room separately. So we have examples of properties that it would rent on Zillow. We just have one in Tampa that just filled up. You could rent the whole house for 1975 based on kind of the estimates we were looking at. And today it's renting out fully occupied at 36 I think 36.25. So it's oh. like way, way over. Not all of our homes perform this way. And, you know, it's not as predictable as like single family, which is like, you know, if you just rent a home, you can go on like all these different websites and it'll tell you an estimate and then you're and it will be within like a hundred room rentals newer, right? A little, not, not necessarily newer, but just the data science is 
the data sets are smaller and there's not as much. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit more variable. So that's something to be aware of, but you can make a lot more. And the other thing that's really cool for investors is we do everything. We'll help you find the home uh, with our data team. We'll underwrite the home, provide you estimates. We'll help. We have, an, we have an agent on the ground to buy the home. And then we have a construction team that will retrofit the home if needed. And then we'll do all the property management services for you. So it's really stress-free and it, you know, get, you make more. So we think it's a pretty solid option. And especially right now, you, interest rates are super high, right? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Do you do the property management? Yes. Yep. Yeah, we do all the, so. we do the, we do the maintenance, leasing, and we'll eventually help you sell if, when you're ready. Okay. So uh, all in one package deal. Yeah. So how do they, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, we get, you can get in touch with us at livehomeroom.com slash invest, or you can email me at johnny at livehomeroom.com. Well, is now a good time to be investing in real estate, given all of the uncertainties facing us? That's the million-dollar question, Alan. What do you think? (laughs) I think it's going to be much, much better in two or three months as sellers finally come to the conclusion that they're not going to get 2001 and 2022 prices, I think. We're going to be going into a a buyer's market, though I wouldn't say don't buy today if you can find the right deal. But I think it's going to get better in a couple of months here. You think it's going to be, you think that'll be, it's like that three, a quarter window. It's not going to be a a bigger time frame. I think by the end of the year, it's going to be even better. But I think within two or three months, I think we're going to start seeing some, I think, I think sellers are going to start feeling it within two or three months from now. Now with the spring and summer season coming. Yeah. It's like, cause that's when everyone was kind of, I think probably anticipating selling. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I, I think, you know, I grew up in uh financial ad- advising family. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the prevailing wind when the prevail, so I'm like the, <laughs> the black sheep over here doing real estate, <laughs> uh, but the uh, prevailing w- wisdom there and, you know, most finance, pro- yeah, I think it's a really good approach is like cost adjusted investing, right? You just kind of like you invest it kind of all the way down and you keep investing all the way up. And then you always, if, if the trend is 10, percent a year keep doing that you're gonna get your 10 percent most of the time right obviously it'd be much better if you just don't you just don't mm-hmm. invest until it's get to the bottom right but that's right. that's an impossible thing to pull in exactly. real estate there's inventory shortages and suddenly it gets very competitive to buy mm-hmm. so i think i agree with you i think if you find the right deal today is great yeah. i i think it's um at some point we're going to need the s- sellers to kind of loosen grips of their their homes and that, that then i think things will be much it'll be much better it's definitely a weird kind of stalemate right now with sellers and buyers we do tell our buyers like hey it's still a pretty good time in the sense that you're not having to offer a hundred thousand over ask in austin right now mm-hmm. it's like there's like three offers not like 50 yeah which was happening in 2020 and so i think if you like an area and you're willing to be reasonably aggressive you can get a home that would have been a very difficult, maybe impossible to get 18 months ago. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Well, with, I don't know who is reporting on this, but they were reporting that mortgage applications are lower than they have been in 29 years. So that's even lower than they were in 2008. And I'm like, why hasn't the market just totally crashed? I don't understand how it has stayed as strong as it has, but... uh, I, this is this starts to get beyond my my pay grade a little bit. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. 
yeah, the the rumor, the Wall Street rumors are, are like the the news rumors are that people are holding on to their three percent interest rate mortgages with like death, like you know, as hard as they can, you know. Yeah. So that's an interesting dynamic. I at some point, you know, you be, you know any broken system where there's kind of like it gets clogged up, just takes time, I think, to kind of work through. And I think we had a broken system in the COVID COVID years where people were just like sitting there with a lot of cash and super bored and doing crazy stuff. And real estate's not really, at least most of the time, like a crazy market. So it tends to return to normalcy and and kind of stabilization mm-hmm. um, naturally, I think. And so I just think we're going to, I don't think anyone really knows how this log jam is going to play out, but I do think, you know, in a year it'll be, or two maybe, it'll be in more of us healthy steady state again it's something to look forward to to everyone i think (laughs) so yeah there's opportunity in crises uh, and so always opportunities if you're if you're ready to Mm -hmm. to go for them there yeah well johnny very wonderful conversation pleasure having you today thanks for being with us hey thanks so much alan really appreciate the time uh, likewise enlightened investors don't go yet i have just a couple of quick requests You know the drill, like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience, so please go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.